1: Certainly, we've seen uh, the housing market go a little uh, bonkers over the last year in terms of rising housing prices and really prompting a whole debate around housing affordability. Now, those trends don't last forever. Obviously, we've seen ups and downs in the housing markets with interest rates rising. It seems like the housing market has cooled off a little bit. Um, But still, uh, housing affordability remains an issue in this country. So we've been looking at how to, to help those who, who don't own a home. How do we make housing more affordable? Either by, you know, programs that assist would-be housing buyers. or just simply trying to add to the supply uh, to bring some, some sanity to prices. What about those who own homes and who arguably have benefited uh, from the increase in housing prices? Is there something that needs to be addressed on that side? Uh, there's a piece in the Globe and Mail this week arguing that governments do need to focus on home wealth. A provocative headline on the piece, homeowners are the new oil barons, and it's time to start taxing their housing wealth. So this is a case for a windfall gain tax on excessive home increases. But what's excessive? And, and how do we go about implementing this? And not every homeowner is in the same situation. Well, joining us to talk about this issue and, talk about his piece in the Globe and Mail this week. Very pleased to welcome the program. Steve Pomeroy, head of housing policy research firm Focus Consulting Incorporated, an industry professor at McMaster's University, Canadian Housing Evidence Collaborative, and a senior research fellow at Carleton University, Center for Urban Research and Education. Professor Pomeroy, good to have you with us. Welcome to the program.
2: Hi, nice to be here, Jay.
1: Okay, so let's talk first of all about home wealth. Um, How how are we defining or, or quantifying that?
2: So, if we look at the total value of uh, residential real estate uh, in in the country, um, back in 2011, ten years ago, uh, the uh, the total value of uh, of homes owned by uh, the the 10 million Canadian households that own a home was about 3.3 billion dollars. Sorry, trillion dollars. Uh, by uh, 2021, that was up to 8.3. So essentially, the the amount of equity people had in their homes increased by five trillion dollars in that decade. Meanwhile, the amount of debt that they have against their home uh, increased only from uh, more or less uh, one trillion to two trillion. So we had we had a gain of equity you know, approaching five five trillion dollars over that period in time, entirely due just to home prices rising. Um, you, know, not, you know, some of that would uh, know, be a marginal amount of new construction in there, but most of that's existing homes.
1: Right. OK. And so these are the circumstances at, at the moment. I mean, you know, for you know, speaking as a homeowner, so um, my home has a, a certain assessed value at the moment, uh, but, but that's not guaranteed to always be the case. So I have my income, I have my, my costs, my mortgage payment bills, et cetera. Uh, to what extent does the value of my home reflect my wealth?
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think you know, home values are probably the main source of wealth for, for certainly the two-thirds of, of, uh, of Canadians that own them. Um, and it is very important that way. I think what we've sort of seen over the last uh, probably 30, 40 years, so sort of two generations of homeowners, if you will, uh, is really a shift in the characteristics of a home. We used to, government policy encouraged homeownership as a savings vehicle. I think today uh, homeownership is seen as an investment vehicle. So it's really changed its sort of categorization from a home to an asset uh, and, uh, and you know arguably um, you know assets and, and gains should, should actually be part of our income tax system
1: right and we saw the housing bubble in the. US burst in, in 2008 I mean you know going back even further yeah. 40 years ago in Alberta the term jingle mail, became commonplace, right, because people were walking away from their mortgages because their home values had had plummeted below what they actually owed. So not to say that that's going to happen again, but, you know, we don't necessarily know what the future holds.
2: Yes, but it's absolutely true that, I mean, the presumption that prices will always go up uh, is is not true. We have seen them go down in a few instances, not many, but a few, uh, and it certainly could happen.
1: Okay, so all that being said, let's let's take a look at the you know what, what you view as a, a necessary policy at this point, uh, some some way of taxing that home wealth or a, a tax on excessive home prices. How would that work right. exactly?
2: I mean, in in the uh, the background research that we've done for this, and in this sort of very brief illustrative or example that we include in the uh, in the op-ed, uh, is is, is there one illustration of the way that could be done. And it's essentially by saying let's exempt every property below a million dollars. Um, anybody that has a property above a million dollars, which was about nine percent of all properties in 2020, um, we would add a small uh, uh, windfall gains tax or surcharge. On their their property uh, for the increment above a million dollars, so if 1.1, that's a 100,000 over, uh, and then we, we sort of just for the purposes of illustration, said no, let's make it small, uh, that it wouldn't really hurt anybody, uh, 0.2%, so essentially a 200 dollar tax on on that particular property. And the intent of this is not taxing people for the sake of taxing people, and certainly I was one of the voices in this the research group that looked at this that actually argued for a higher rate. I think the issue is that what, what we've seen happening over the last uh, couple of three years, as property values rose so much, and in, in most Canadian markets, you know, uh, the average uh, home price went up by about 40% over two years. And the, the two-thirds of, uh, uh, you know, when we see houses transacting in the marketplace, two-thirds of the people buying a home um, are, are folks who already own one. They're downsizing, they're upsizing, they're investing. Um, And and because they're coming to those transactions uh, with bags of money as a result of the equity they've accumulated in the house, their capacity to bid on the house is very, very high, way beyond their income, way beyond uh, what they could borrow based just on their income and and, very low interest rates, which were obviously a big factor as well. And it's really creating an uneven playing field for the young family with no existing equity, the first-time buyer. Uh, that's trying to compete, and they say, well, how can I go and compete in a market where people are bidding 150, $200,000 above the asking price? Uh, they're able to do that because they have this accumulated equity in the existing asset. And that's really the point we're trying to get at, is that there is this massive sort of intergenerational inequity uh, and tenure inequity between those that own and those that don't. And and if we want to enable young families to get into the market, um, they can compete. So to level the playing field, it's necessary to essentially confiscate some of that, uh, that excessive purchasing power uh, that the folks with equity have accumulated uh, and, and accumulated very drastically in the last couple of years.
1: Well, but still, I mean, you know, I, I think we should be careful about ca- you know lumping all homeowners into the same category. I mean, a, a million dollar home in Edmonton or Calgary is is a much different kind of situation than a million dollar home in in Toronto. So, isn't it possible yeah. that uh, a family in Toronto? That has, you know, sacrificed and cut back and scrimped and saved and done everything they could to get into what in Toronto would be a very modest home. To yep. to say that, well, they should also pay an additional tax on that asset if they're already struggling to make ends meet as it is.
2: But you know, that, that's a fair point. I mean, there, there are geographic implications of this, and, and certainly the way it was framed, uh, you know, as a tax just on properties over over a million. Uh, it would tend to target the hotter markets, the Vancouver's and the Toronto's of the world. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. You can essentially just say, "Well, any, 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 it doesn't matter where you are in the country. If prices rise by more than a certain amount relative to inflation, uh, then then maybe that's that's the way it should be configured." So this, you know, with the work we were doing was was to sort of make the point that we have to think about what's the impact of this this equity in, in terms of affordability issue, if that's what people are concerned about, and are there ways to address that. So yeah, you, you, you could adjust it. You could say basically we're going to look at, you know, across the entire country and we're going to put you know, increases above you know, any property value that increases more than five times the rate of inflation, for example. Pick, pick your number. Um, but it's the concept of, of trying to remove that really significant um, element in the purchasing power of, of existing owners that we're trying to get
0: out. This episode is brought to you by Shopify.
1: Right, because I mean, wealth on paper is real, but in yeah. terms of being able to pay a tax bill each year, it's it's not quite as as tangible. And so, how fair is right. it to to be taxing people for, you know, that that wealth on paper?
2: And, and again, there's a couple of ways you can do that. I mean, as we see, so, and certainly the uh, the the tax that for. The city of Vancouver, for example, put on properties over $3 million. There was quite a strong pushback on that. And for that reason, that, you know, the value of your home versus your income is not the same. And, and in most jurisdictions, you know, we have deferrals of tax, particularly for low-income seniors who are you know, house-rich and, and cash-poor. So you could design something with a deferral. Personally, my, my view is we should actually just do it um, at the point of sale. So that you actually capture some of that gain that's actually liquidated as a sale, rather than actually taxing people on an ongoing basis. So there was different views in the in the sort of the solutions labs folks that were involved in this work, and so that the the you know the consensus that came out uh, was that it'd be an ongoing sort of almost like a property tax surcharge. But I think a sales tax, personally. Could, could actually be fairer because it, you're capturing it at the point of time where they are actually realizing that, that significant gain and they have that, that in that time, you know, significant capacity to pay.
1: Well, let's talk about why we, we would do this. Is it just simply because we believe the tax system should be progressive and this is one way of making it so? Is it about generating revenue? Is it about somehow addressing housing affordability? Like, What is the point of all of
2: Well, actually, all, all of the above. Um, You know, I think that, you know, as I mentioned, there is an intergenerational and and a tenure-based inequity that you are trying to address, but there is, you know, there has been a considerable concern over the last few years that people, you know, existing homeowners sort of love to see their value of their property go up, but it was a paper gain Uh, and, and the consequence was I think many people were thinking, more importantly, and say, well, how are my kids going to be able to actually afford to achieve ownership like I did? So I think there, was, there were broad concerns across the country about the excessive amount of, of home price and just the unaffordability of, 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 of the existing market. So I think that was the key issue, is sort of getting at that. Um, in, at the same time, you know, uh, there are many folks who, uh, who are very low income and really have really struggle in the rental market. And as property values have gone up, rents have gone up dramatically. We're seeing rent increases year-to-year year 10% these days. Uh, the average income of renters is half that of owners. Um, so low-income folks are really, really being hurt by these, these property value increases. And if government's going to try and do something about that, uh, essentially by intervening directly to build more social and more affordable housing, it needs to fund it. Um, so sort of a, a sort of a, a tangential or a secondary benefit from a tax is that it's a way to fund those kinds of programs without raising the deficit. Um, so that's a, sort of another, another way to look at it. But you know, the, the intent is not so much as a, a taxing mechanism for revenue generation as it is a mechanism to slow down and stall the growing gap uh, between those who own a home and those who don't.
1: Mm. Well, it, you raise an interesting potential issue here. I do wonder, I mean, because we, we have a an odd kind of, not quite a paradox, but an odd situation at the moment where higher mortgage rates have led to a, a cooling off in housing prices, but it's contributing to increases in rent because those who own property are, are paying higher mortgage payments. So if, if I say own a, a fourplex that's valued at over a million dollars, and so I would presumably then pay this this additional uh, wealth tax, isn't it possible that that's we just going to get passed on to yeah, renters? It,
2: it, it, no, we actually, when we, sort of configuring the, the, the concept, and it's just a concept, and it was sort of floating the idea to get people to think about it, uh, but uh, there was very strong consensus in the group that we should exempt rental properties from this because, for the exact reason that you're raising.
1: I see. Okay, well, I mean, the politics of it all. Um... You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's well. Sure. Look, I mean, you know, we, we do have in this country. Look, homeowners who, who have their concerns and interest, and, and those who want to own a home but don't or can't, and they have their concerns and interest, and, and yeah. those often yeah. clash.
2: Yeah, exactly. And to you know, to re- realistically, I mean, you know, politicians don't like this idea. I'll you be know, quite you know fair about that, and, and they don't like it because two thirds of voters are to homeowners, and nobody likes a tax. Um, so you can see why politicians, the Minister of, of Housing, uh, Diversity and Inclusion, Ahmed Hussain, uh, when this idea was it exploded in the media back in, this, in the winter, uh, came out uh, partly in reaction to accusations from the opposition that they, they were going the to implement it. And basically drew a line in the sand and said, you know, this government will never tax a capital gain. Um, but there's a difference between, you know, that sort of sacrosanct notion of, of the exemption of a capital gains tax on the principal residence. Um, versus a windfall tax. I mean, currently we already, when somebody sells a property, it's all the provinces across the country um, it, it impose a sales tax, uh, a land transfer tax, or a property property tax, depending what it's well, called.
1: Well, not does have a land transfer tax.
2: You know what I mean? Okay, most most other provinces well, okay. do. Yeah, when you got, yeah g- generally, now, but you guys don't like taxes, I guess. But the uh, <laughs> um, you know many do, and and, and that starts an inequity as well, because you, again, you've got a situation where someone sells a house they've lived in for twenty years. Uh, you know, they, they end up generating significant gain from that sale. The young family that's trying to buy it, they've scraped together just enough money to put together a down payment, and then they're the one that gets hit with the bill on the sales tax—maybe a thirty, forty thousand dollar bill of you know, million dollar properties. Um, uh, the um, and so the person that actually has all of the the benefits of the sale is not paying the tax; it's the struggling purchaser that is. So again, it's another element of an inequity, and I think you know, we should be. Thinking, you know, not, not obviously in Alberta if you don't have one, but the provinces that do should be thinking about moving that tax from the purchaser to the vendor right. uh, so that that actually equalizes that, that burden a little bit better.
1: But does this need to be the federal government, though? You, mean, you mentioned Vancouver has uh, uh, you know this kind of a tax in place, I think a little bit higher threshold, as you mentioned. But yeah. if, if you know some of these hot markets see the, the need for that, why do we need other levels of government involved?
2: Yeah, I mean, certainly you could, you could do it at a municipal level. You could do it any, any level of government that you want to. Um, I mean, the point is basically that, you know, it's, uh, you know, whichever level of government is the one that levels the tax is the one that generates the revenue. And therefore they can use it to, to in I mean, BC, for example, the, uh, the vacant homes tax and the foreign buyers tax, uh, they use that money to allocate $800 million to their provincial housing corporation to help cross Subsidize their affordable housing programs. Um, so it was sort of put right back into the housing market to help, to help other folks. So yeah, I mean, you know, again, it's a concept. It could be implemented at any level of government. Um, I think, you know, doing it once, you know, across the country and on a consistent basis is probably more practical than every, you know, 4,000 different municipalities all trying to adopt it. Um, but, uh, you know, as, as you say, you know, certain municipalities have done this kind of stuff already.
1: Well, we'll leave it there. Uh, Steve Pomeroy, I appreciate the conversation here this morning. Thanks for joining us.
2: Appreciate it. Take care.
1: All the best. Uh, Steve Pomeroy with Focus Consulting Incorporated, also McMaster University's Canadian Housing Evidence Collaborative and uh, Carleton University's Center for Urban Research and Education.